Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck and the Success League. Strike Deck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. The Strike Deck solution enables churn prevention, upsells, and customer advocacy. They use machine learning and predictive analytics to bubble up insights and alerts about customer health, sentiment, and engagement. The Success League is a consulting firm focused on customer success. We work with executives who are ready to build and develop a top-performing customer success team that drives retention and revenue for their organization. We also offer training programs for CSMs and customer success leaders. For more information, you can visit our website at thesuccessleague.io. My name is Kristen Hayer, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. I'm really looking forward to today's interview with Joanelle Bernardo, the Global Manager of Customer Success, Service, and Delivery for Hortonworks. She's going to be sharing her approach to managing customer expectations, which is a foundational and very important topic. We'll be exploring this entire area, including how to get other teams to buy in, how to train your team on this topic, and how to reset expectations if things have gone wrong. So, Joanelle, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you guys so much for having me. Um, I'm happy to be here and definitely happy to share my thoughts on setting customer expectations and then also how we translate that into an internal dialogue as well. Sounds great. Before we get started on the topic, could you give the audience a little background on your role and career? How did you land in customer success leadership? Sure. So I'm a sales girl at heart. Uh, I went from... <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Everyone is. I, I really think um, it, it's innate, right? You just find yourself pitching things that you love. Um, so I, I started out in retail sales. I moved into uh, inside sales for a software uh, company. And then I actually got into customer success as a fluke. So I was going on a two-week-long vacation with my family, and my company didn't offer quota relief. Uh, and we were moving into this customer success short-term program, and they said, you know, would you be interested in taking on this role? I said, sure. Does it offer quota relief? And they said, well, you won't have a quota. So I moved over and I went for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so keeping it um, as honest as possible. Uh, but I, I realized that the the one thing that I loved about sales was building relationships. The one part that I really didn't like about it was the fact that I always had to sell more. Uh, so you would start a customer off, you hand them over to somebody else, or you get them started on your product. And then when they call you for help, you really couldn't help them anymore. You still had to go meet your number. Um, mm -hmm. And it was a big deal for me. So moving into customer success just seemed like a natural path for me to take. Uh, my biggest focus has always been on the overall customer sentiment. So it made sense for me to move into a role that would actually help me keep customers and keep them happy. Perfect. Um, I want to ask you about Hortonworks too. I, I had heard of the organization, but I'll admit before I did some homework for this episode, I had no idea what the company really did. Can you tell the audience a little bit more about Hortonworks and describe how your team fits into the company? Sure. So Hortonworks provides an open source platform that anyone can download from our, our website. 
Uh, we focus on storing, processing, and analyzing large volumes of data. And we can do this for data at rest or even uh, data in motion. So okay. our, our two main platforms, you always hear people talk about HDF and then HDP. Um, we provide an enterprise-ready solution for our customers, and our customers have high expectations and business needs for their platform to be stable and fast. Given that our product is open source, meaning that anybody can use it, we generate over 70% of our revenue from the support that we provide. So think about, you know, customers can download this off the internet. Um, the answers are typically out there. You can find them if you Google them, but being that our customers are enterprise customers, they don't have the ability to take an eight-hour downtime against their cluster. Right. So they have to shorten that, and that's why they would purchase uh, Hortonworks support subscriptions. Um, my team's main goal is to really ensure that our customers see value from that specific support subscription. Uh, that helps us move into a field where we're managing customer relationships. Uh, we're also looking at increasing our renewal rates and holistically upselling customers, right? We don't want to tell our customers what to buy. We want them to understand how other products fit into the model that they currently have. Uh, and then making sure that they see that, hey, this could work for me. It's working for others in my industry. So it's more of an organic sell if you look at it from that point. That's great. I think that organic sell is often a better way to, to go about it to begin with. And I think especially in your situation where you've got a solution that, you know, is, is basically free and the real thing that you're selling is the service that you provide around that. And um, that needs to be a holistic sell if you're increasing what your customers are doing or increasing your footprint uh, within the organization. So when we were batting around ideas for this podcast, one of the first things you mentioned was setting customer expectations. And I think Sonia, our producer, and I just about jumped out of our seats when you said that because it's not something we've talked about on the show before, but it is something that is so critical to customer success. So why do you think it is very important to have a structured approach to setting and handling customer expectations? I think... The reason why it's good to just be structured is so you know what path you're going to take. Um, most people will tell you, you know, this is my problem. My problem is that this query or this question doesn't return fast enough to me. And if you don't know to ask more questions, you won't really understand, you know, why is that important? How is that impacting you? Uh, if I need to go run to my engineering team and jump up and down and scream for you, why am I doing that? Uh, mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons why setting customer expectations is huge. Uh, and then also understanding where do those expectations come from and why do you have them? Sometimes it can be a, you know, they misread what we sold them. Uh, it could also be that it was positioned uh, differently than what the way that we can actually execute. Um, right. So understanding what are you expecting? Is that even something that we can do? And then what's the middle ground? Um, most people need to learn that skill and then understand what path to take, what's the next question for me to ask, and then also come back and articulate internally, what do we need to do from here? Uh, and that, that's why the, the structure is very important, I'd say. 
Great. So let's get into some specifics. I love on this podcast when we can provide the audience with some details on how you've done things so they can think about what they can do in their own organizations. Um, What kind of problems do you poorly set expectations cause, both internally and between CSMs and their customers? Um, Sure. I I think it can cause a bunch of problems. Some of them are just going to be a bad relationship between your sales team and your customer success managers, right? Because they sold it and now we have to uphold it. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you can't, right? Right. So um, poor relationship management, I think it causes a lot of finger pointing. It's disappointing for a customer as well because they thought that they bought this. And most of the solutions that you're seeing out there, especially companies that have customer success managers, the solutions aren't cheap. Right. So if I've invested $25,000, $150,000 into a product that can't deliver, that person's head may roll at their company. Right. And we right. have to be mindful of that. Um, and, and that's where the dialogue really has to happen. Customers are disappointed. They're upset with their salesperson. Sales is upset with the uh, the support team or you know the post sale org because they can't uphold to what they've promised. And then the CSMs kind of feel like they're just taking a beating because they're stuck in the middle. Um, so you know, as much as you can avoid that, um, it, it's critical. And and those are some of the the high level problems that most uh, people will experience in these situations. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was at a um, conference a couple of weeks ago, a customer success con conference up in Seattle, and there was a lot of questions that were coming from the people who were attending the conference about the relationship between customer success and sales. And one thing I was hearing a lot was the sales team did it. And I think what they were meaning is that the sales team set the wrong expectations with customers during the sales cycle. And that was causing a lot of problems downstream. So how do you work with other teams in the company like sales or maybe marketing to make sure that expectations are correctly set up front? I think a lot of people forget that training is always going to be an ongoing expectation. When we look at what we're talking about, we normally train people once and then we send them off into the field. And when you're learning something and when you're new to a company, you're trying to take as much in as possible. Uh, But imagine being up at bat and having those little automatic pitchings, uh, the little pitching machine just throwing balls at you every two seconds. You're like, I'm just trying to one, not get hit. And then two, try to hit the ball uh, when I can. So I I think that's an analogy to think about anyone that's new to a company and trying to learn something. They're almost drinking from a fire hose. And and we need to understand that long-term, one, educating them consistently um, and, and educating everybody, right? Educating the marketing team on how they should create the marketing material, making sure that when someone goes out on stage and talks about your company, they're setting the right expectations um, that are going to be reproducible across the globe. Uh, and then also looking back and saying, hey, it's okay that you made a mistake. Let me help you understand what we can offer to customers so that way this doesn't happen again. A lot of it is just that push and pull of understanding and giving and bending and flexing. And that's what a lot of customer success managers are great at doing, right? We don't dig our feet in the, in the sand and say, nope, not budging. This is what it is. A lot of us are open to having a dialogue. 
mm-hmm. and, and understanding, you know, what can we do to help you? What can you do to help us? And how do we make this so you can go off and sell more and things aren't coming downstream uh, and biting us in the rear because that's what you're trying to avoid, right? Angry customers don't renew. And what does that mean for the company? And what does that mean for you, Mr. Salesperson or Mrs. Salesperson? Non-renewals actually hurt your pocket. So let me see how I can help you. Um, And they, once they start to understand that you're, looking out for their best interests as well. Um, It becomes this cohesive relationship. Yeah, I love that you brought up the training component because I think you're absolutely right. Um, Training somebody on something once is not enough for it to stick. I think it has to be a continual effort of training sales and training success and training marketing on what the expectations should be in terms of setting those for customers. Because even if you learned it once, um, it's easy to have missed it or it's easy to quickly get out of out of that habit of mentioning it and get into bad habits of setting the wrong expectations. And as you know, if those aren't continually being reset, that causes problems. So I love that you brought that up. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back with the rest of the interview in a minute. Today, I want to share some information about the customer success workshops we offer at the Success League. Each of the classes we teach as a part of our CSM training program is also offered in a two to three hour expanded workshop format. These on-site sessions are designed to provide a rich learning experience for customer success teams and include group discussions, team exercises, and tools that team members can put to use right away. Some of the recent topics we have been addressing through these workshops are engaging executives, uncovering opportunities, building persuasion and negotiation skills, and managing time. If you have a customer success team event coming up, consider adding one of our half or full day workshops to build your group's skills and drive teamwork. I also want to mention a terrific resource from Strike Deck called The Beginner's Guide to Customer Success. This is a 200-page ebook you can download from Amazon, and it includes fantastic tips, articles, and exercises to grow your career in customer success. CSMs will find information that helps them get started in the field, and managers will gain tools they can implement to help build the customer success function within their organization. For more information about either the workshops or the ebook, you can visit thesuccessleague.io or strikedeck.com. And now back to our interview. How do you coach your CSMs to reset expectations when they were set incorrectly to begin with? Is what is the process that you have them follow there? So I have them ask a lot of questions. That's the beginning to any problem that you come across, I tell them, ask as many questions as you can, right? This is your opportunity to get it right for a customer. And don't uh-huh. don't come into it saying, I know how to fix that. I'll just do this, right? You need to understand what is the customer saying? What are they experiencing? Um, and why do they have those expectations to begin with? So some good examples, right? Customers may believe that they have a production issue. In Hortonworks, we always look at everything as a production down versus non-production. Sometimes they say this is a production-like problem. And what they're not understanding is it's very black and white. It's either production or not production. If it's not production, I can't help you as quickly as I would a production problem. So trying Mm -hmm. to understand from a customer, well, what do you mean by production like? 
how, how is that affecting your business? What does that mean for you and your team? I always tell them, forgive me for asking so many questions, but I want to make sure I get this right and I understand it so I can go and articulate the problems that you're experiencing and advocate for you internally in the company. And the minute you say that, they're like, wait a second, you're trying to help me, right? They get they get off their like really frustrated path and they start yeah. to open up and they realize like, you know, I'm a partner in your success. I want you to be successful, but I also want to make sure that I can deliver on what it is that you're expecting of me. And uh, that open dialogue, I think that it's better to ask as many questions as possible. Sometimes I say, you know, I like to play dumb. I like to Mm -hmm. act like this is my first time experiencing this issue. And customers will say like, you're asking, you know, why do you keep asking that? And I'll say, you know, in order for me to be the best advocate, I just need to see how does this flow downstream for you? What does this mean? Does this mean you won't ever get a promotion? Does this mean that, you know, all the way up to your CEO, they can see this problem? And and I want to do things that help you look good, right? They start to think, oh my gosh, this person's a partner. Um, and that's really important is that they understand you're a partner in their success. Um, that you're an advocate for them internally. Uh, and then and then once you understand the problem, then you can start coming up with ways of how do I make this sustainable? Um, what are the ways that I can help you? And then they're more open to understanding, oh, so I don't have the right level of support, or maybe I don't have the right expectation. What should I expect from you guys in this situation so I don't do this again? I've had plenty of customers say that. And then they they realize, oh, this was a mismatch. Or maybe I need to level up the support that I get because I didn't have enough support in my initial purchase. And that's that's when you know you've you've really hit the nail on the head and you've done a great job. Yeah. And I think that points to what you were saying at the beginning about that very holistic organic selling process. That's when those opportunities come to light and it comes to light in a way where it doesn't feel like you're selling something to the customer. Mm-hmm. It's almost the customer saying, gosh, I really need this other thing because it, it will help me. <laughs> they will <almost Yeah>. sell themselves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't buy the right thing. What would, what do you recommend I do instead? Right. right. You're like, oh, okay. Now I have the opportunity to really educate you on what's the best fit because I know more about you. And that's important too. Yeah, that's a game changer. I think it changes the whole selling process from a selling process to buyer enablement, which Mm -hmm. is where everyone really wants to be at this point, I think. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your CSM onboarding process. How do you make sure that your team is trained to set the right expectations from day one? So the first thing I, I require them to do is know the process, like the back of your hand, know what we offer, know mm-hmm. how the model works, never promise something that you're not sure of, and never talk about a product or a feature or a process if you don't feel 100% confident in what you're saying. It's so much better to tell a customer, I'm not sure. Let me see what I can do, or let me make sure that I give you the best information. So I'll take that question offline and I'll get back to you uh, with an answer, right? Don't become part of the problem by over-promising. My CSMs realize, hey, it's better for me to take it slow 
with a solution than it is for me to offer up the world. Because when you give a customer a little bit, they expect a lot. Same thing goes with, you know, CSMs, we handle a lot of escalations. Uh, if you tell your customer, I'm available and I'm, I'm here for you 24-7, anytime you need, doesn't matter if it's a holiday, just text me. They will text you, right? Because you set the expectation that that's okay. Um, mm -hmm. So trying to get them to understand, you know, I have boundaries that I can work with and, and that I, I will advocate for you. I 100% I promise you I will advocate for you. But let me go to my team and let me see what we can do, right? Take a step back and just say, I don't want to overpromise anything to you. I think that may be something I can fix or I may be able to handle for you. Uh, but let me go speak with my larger team, right? And just leave it at that. Um, mm -hmm. The other piece, you know, like you said, how do you start this from day one? It really is knowing what are your boundaries, right? As a CSM, what can you do? What is absolutely off limits that you cannot do? Uh, and knowing, knowing that, you, you kind of can pitch to a customer what your, what your opportunity is, right? I'll go to my manager and I'll try to figure this out for you, but give me, give me a second because I, I need to have a conversation before I can even tell you what my options are. And at least the customer understands like, oh, wait, you are going to go in and advocate for me. You're going to try. But I think it all really starts with knowing, knowing your product and knowing your process very, very well. So you know how to operate within your own boundaries. And then also go back and ask a ton of questions because your manager, your director is going to ask you all of those questions before they give an exception or before they say, okay, this is what, what we may be able to do to help the customer. Um, Hopefully that long-winded question answers your question or long-winded answer. <laughs> yeah, it totally does. I want to I want to go deeper a little bit on boundaries. I think it's really easy for customers to ask for more than you're able to give in terms of service, support, time, energy. How do you coach your team to set good boundaries with customers without offending the customers or f making the customer maybe feel like they're having a bad experience with Hortonworks? So I like to make sure that the team acknowledges that they're just one person, right? I'm just one person. If I give you my cell phone number and I tell you, hey, you can, you can reach out to me whenever you need to, you set the expectation that, that they do that, right? Mm -hmm. The other piece of that is CSMs, just like salespeople, they change, right? You're going to get a new CSM every six months, potentially. Whatever you set up, you set as an expectation that the next CSM may not be able to uphold. Um, so mm -hmm. being respectful to your peers, right? The last thing that I want to do is tell everyone, you know what? We're going to do daily meetings. We can meet every day at 6 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'll be there. And then I say, oh, I'm getting pulled off this account. Hey, new guy, you get to wake up at 6 a.m. every day and do these 15-minute calls with the customer. Um, <laughs> yeah. right? they, they're like, wait, that, I don't, I don't do that. Um, so it, it is important for the CSMs to ask themselves, is this sustainable? Is this reproducible? Would I be able to do this every day for a year and a half? Because I may have my customer for that long. And when you're setting boundaries, just know, you know, there may be exceptions to your boundaries, but you own one, you own your time. 
Two, you own your work ethic. Um, and there may be a day where you want to, you know, take a day off. And if your customer doesn't see the you as a counterpart or as a extension of themselves within the company, they won't respect your role. So it all really starts with those boundaries, mm -hmm. knowing what you can take on, knowing what you don't want to do, making sure that you work within the space that allows you to be successful. That's another thing that I see a lot of CSMs do because because you tend to be a giver. You tend to say, sure, I could help you. I'd love to yeah. help you, right? Um, but what you don't realize is that you're you're burning yourself out because you're putting yourself in a position where you're not making a sustainable model for yourself and most importantly for your customer. And as CSMs, it's even more important for them to set expectations because they're the customer advocate. They're the customer's you know, extension. And if they set the wrong expectations, they're going to be the first person or possibly possibly the second person to really let the customer down. And that's not what our job is, right? We, right. we can't make them unsuccessful because we didn't set the right expectations for a customer. Um, so it's, a, it's definitely a challenge. I think most CSMs burn themselves uh, by not setting the right expectations or overstepping those boundaries. And then they realize really, really quickly, hey, I probably shouldn't have said that I'd be here all the time. Or I probably should rely on my greater team to help me with these problems because this problem is bigger than me. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it can quickly spiral out of control if you don't set good boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a big part of why I see a lot of customer success managers having problems with time management because they've given so much to so many customers that they've spread themselves thin and they've created this cycle that's really hard to pull themselves out of. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really appreciate what you had to say there. In your own journey of setting expectations and boundaries with customers, is there a specific example you'd be willing to share about how setting great expectations with people has resulted in a stronger relationship? Yes. So I would say that this is internal, right? So when you're a customer success manager, you have to remember your customers are physical customers who bought a service or bought a product from you, but you also have internal customers. So sales can potentially be an internal customer of yours. We've had salespeople say, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to go out there and I want to pitch this particular product to a customer. I think it's going to be great for them. They definitely need it. And it's also happens to be a six figure deal. And the first thing I think of is like, sure, I want you to have a six-figure deal. I think it's a great idea. Can we take two steps back? And they're always like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> before we get too excited. Um, I, but I, I, I will sometimes just tell them, hey, guys, before we get too excited, let's understand as a customer, what are they hearing from us? Are they seeing the money bags? Are they seeing that this is really going to help us? Or are they seeing that, hey, this is another product that you're trying to pitch to me? And I think sales would get frustrated because I'd always tell them like, wait, let's take two steps back. But mm -hmm. I always, I, I've, I've helped to articulate and tell them, guys, I want you to be successful before we pitch this to them. Let's make sure there's a 90% chance that this is going to close. 
Let's make sure that the customer understands how this will help them. And let's talk about specific scenarios where this would have helped or could have been avoided with this particular product. That to salespeople is like, oh, yes, let's talk about that. I want to make sure that, you know, I'm standing on rock solid ground when I pitch this deal. And, and that to them is eye-opening because I think they're always looking at how can I achieve my next goal? How can I get to my goal faster? And they sometimes forget the reality of the situation. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the expectation is sometimes now they come to me and they say, so what do you think about this? That's when I know I've won, right? They come in and they say, okay, this is the customer situation. What do you think about giving them this kind of support? How would we offer that? How would we structure it? And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, it's clicking, right? All the little conversations that you have, it just clicks with them and they realize, you know, there's my advocate, there's my person uh, that wants me to be successful, but is also helping me see things with a different lens. Cool. So last question and something I ask of all of our guests, what do you see as the biggest trend in customer success right now and why? Oh man, so I am seeing so many new companies or, you know, new customer success organizations popping up that the CSMs are focused on the renewal and they carry a renewal number and it terrifies me. I think that, you know, we get away from what customer success genuinely is when we go down that path. And it's, I say that because I can't holistically grow a customer if I carry a number over my head. I can carry a retention rate, right? I can carry a increased retention or maintain retention, but I, I'm terrified of carrying a renewal number because then I'm forcing customers to keep a product that may not work for them. And I may be retaining customers that are bad customers for the company overall. So that's another trend that I'm seeing, and I, I'd love to see how it pans out. And I'm really interested in, in even having conversations with other CSMs, individual contributors, managers, directors that have, that have taken that route and are making it successful. Because I, I, I just think that, you know, in my mind, I'm not seeing how it cohesively works, uh, but it could be working. And, and I'd love to learn more about how these companies are making it work. Yeah, I think that's really interesting that 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 worries you, given that you came out of a sales background, Um, because you come from that. And I I find that when I talk to people who are really nervous about that, it's mostly people who haven't ever had a quota or a, a sales number that they've been responsible for. And so their nervousness really comes more from a place of not having had that responsibility in the past. Whereas I think yours is maybe coming more from a place of you feel like it gets the team away from the focus of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, I think to me, it's just, it's harder to be genuine when you carry that number. And I may be completely hmm. wrong, right? But sometimes I agree, you can't keep all of your customers because some of them just aren't the best fit for your product or they're not the best fit for your model. And we should be okay with letting them go um, because they may be a longer term headache. What you see when you carry that number is, uh uh-oh, I'm responsible for a million dollars in renewals. And if they leave, I won't hit my number. So we should keep them. 
And, and that's where I think we, we run the risk of keeping the wrong types of customers potentially. Um, and then that whole, I care about you and that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm working and advocating for you internally in my company that slightly changes when you're also owning that customer's renewal. It seems that it could be perceived as disingenuine, but you know, there's a chance that, hey, it works out because from a process, it makes the most sense for the CSM to own that renewal and kick off the renewal process and send out all the documents. But I think time will tell on that one. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. You brought you bring up you bring up a good point. I think what I'm seeing is the the organizations who are moving in that direction are putting a lot of time and energy into taking a look at their segmentation and their customer base and trying to be very realistic about um, what the numbers really are so that it's not an unachievable goal, even if customers do churn. So there is less of that concern that you bring up, but I think you brought up a valid concern with it. It it can't, you know, if you've got a number that's huge and you're not sure how you're going to hit it, it absolutely does change the dynamic between the CSM and their client. You know, I think I've, I've come up with a, a new podcast for you guys. I'll be <laughs> definitely like the first one listening to it because um, it, it, it is it's an evolution of the space yeah. and it's exciting. Right. Because if you have a sales background, you know how to close, you know how to sell, um, you know how to pitch right. great ideas and you get to use those skills. Uh, and I think I I do admit I miss having that part of my job. Right. I miss doing the demos. I miss, you know, prospecting, getting hung up on. I sort of miss those things, uh-huh. which is weird, but I, I do see that, you know, the, the customer success piece, it's so sacred, the relationship between the CSM and the account and, and the, the overall customer team. It's such a sacred thing that I guess mentally, I'm just concerned that we, we run the risk of ruining that if we carry a number. And that's just, you know, my, my, maybe my scaredy cat thought of it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I don't think it is. I mean, I think it's a valid concern and I think that there's probably ways to address it, but it's definitely a hot topic right now in our field. And it's something that we should all keep talking about because it's really important for us to figure it out. It's probably honestly different from company to company and product to product, but Jonel, I am so happy you decided to come on the podcast today and share your insights on the topic of setting great expectations for customers. It's so critical. And I'm sure our listeners came away with some very practical tips. So thank you so much for being on the show today. No problem. Um, I am so thankful to the Strike Deck team for inviting me to be part of this. Uh, If anyone wants to educate me on anything related to customer success, please, please, please connect with me. I'm on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled J-O-A-N-E-L. And my last name is Bernardo, B-E-R-N-A-R-D-O. Find me on LinkedIn. Let's connect. Let's potentially grab coffees. If you happen to be in the San Francisco Bay Area, I'd love to meet. Um, And thank you again for the opportunity. I really appreciate you being here. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. 
To get all of the latest episodes, please subscribe to Strike Deck Radio on iTunes or SoundCloud. And finally, thanks for listening to this podcast, and we hope you'll join us next time.